0: Uh, Let's start with a word of prayer, and then we're going to talk about something that uh, has been a mystery to a lot of people for a long time. So that's exciting. I could go too horribly deep into it, but uh, deep enough to make our brains sweat a little bit this morning. All right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you um, asking for your help today as we... Uh, try to understand uh, who the Holy Spirit is and what his work is, and um, and so uh, I suppose we ask for his help to understand him better. So we ask for that, and we ask for uh, good worship today as we uh, come before you in, in about an hour to um, praise and worship you and uh, hear your word spoken to us through Andrew, and we pray <coughs> Uh, for uh, wisdom as he does that as well, Lord. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, today, as you can see on your on your sheets, the ever important sheets, uh, that we are going to talk about the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament. It's kind of a, a mysterious thing because I think we all know or have some kind of an idea of what's going on now. Uh, we um, we're going to talk about it more uh, next week when we talk about the Holy Spirit's work in the New Testament uh, but how did the Holy Spirit work in the Old Testament um, some of us might think well who cares <laughs> because now things are different and uh, doesn't really matter And what I'd like to show you today is that it does matter for many reasons. Uh, One reason is to demonstrate to you that the Trinity isn't something that was invented in the New Testament. It's something that is essential throughout the entire Bible. Another reason is that God is a God that does not change. And so we are not talking about something in God that changed in the New Testament We're talking about a God who does not change, but has done something new with us. Uh, And I think, I hope, we find that exciting. I may not explain it in an exciting way, but maybe you can look past that and see the exciting stuff that we're going to talk about. Okay, so here we go. Uh, If you would, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Because that's where we first hear about the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is a pretty interesting chapter because uh, you can uh, derive a lot of theology about who God is from that first chapter. Uh, The fact that God is not, um, if you remember that term, a monad, remember what a monad is? Um, It is something that is fully singular. So God is God, singular, and three persons, plural. And we find that out in the first chapter of the Bible. Um, So let me read for you the first two verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now here's what's interesting. God in His oneness is mentioned in the first sentence of the Bible, and of the three persons of God... You wouldn't expect that the first person spoken of in the Bible is the Holy Spirit, not the Father or the Son. So that's interesting. And what we find is that the earth was formless and void. We're going to figure out what that means. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was moving over the surface of the waters. Fascinating uh, what that would have looked like. Um, so let's look at this word here. Um, in the Hebrew, uh, it says the earth was uh, Tohu and Bohu. That's your uh, Hebrew lesson for the day. We can call Sunday school Hebrew school if you like for today. Um, tohu and Bohu. Uh, Interesting Hebrew words, um, and the translations are doing the best they can. Uh, Tohu is a difficult word to translate because um, it has Hebrew connotations that when we try to put them into English, uh, you might need a few sentences to really get it. But what they chose to use was the word formless. Formless. So your first blank there is the earth was formless, that's tohu. Now formless doesn't mean what we think in our scientific minds as formless. So God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was this mass of stuff floating around. You just couldn't get a real form out of it, and so God had to make it into a ball that we call a sphere called earth. Uh, that's not necessarily what's going on. Uh, formless uh, uh, so is referring to the fact that when God made the earth it was the form of a ball like we know it now but on, in the earth the waters and all that sort of stuff and the land and everything that was, that was there was not uh, subdued yet it wasn't prepared yet for a human to live on it Now, why did God do that? Couldn't God have made the earth immediately the way you see it now? Bam. Yes, he could have. But he chose to do it in stages. In a way that there is an earth that is made that is not ready for humans. That then God starts preparing. Now, um, there are ways that I explain things to my son. Uh, knowing what my son knows, and knowing how I want him to learn something. Um, there are things I do in front of my son, and I try to make him notice that I am doing it. Um, and we have talks about things like that. And I do that because, not because... Um, it would be easier just to do it my way just get it done but there are ways I show my son how something is done and I do that because I want him to imitate me right this is what fathers want from their children is for them to imitate them and imitate the good stuff (laughs) because they imitate the bad stuff really fast uh, you're reminded of that when you're reintroduced to having a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and you realize, wow, they imitate all the bad things about me so quickly, <laughs> ignore all the good things. Uh, so um, what God is doing here is he is demonstrating how subduing and ruling, uh, how that what that looks like. Now, why would God want to uh, demonstrate subduing? And ruling to uh, man.: Yes. Uh, in the same chapter, after man is created, in verse 28, says, "God blessed them, and God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply." That's the imitating of creation in a creaturely way. and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over everything that lives and moves on the earth. So this multiplying, creation, subduing, right, and ruling is all the things that we're supposed to do in order to imitate our God. And our God did it this way so that he could be an example to us to show us what it looks like to create ...to subdue and to rule. All right. Now I say all that to say that this formlessness, then, is not without form as we understand it scientifically... ...but formless as in it is not ready. It needs preparation for for life. So there's subduing that needs to be done. Uh, The land needs to be separated from the waters... That hadn't been done yet. There, were, there was preparation in the waters that needed to be done, efficient, and life is going to live in it. And this is what the Holy Spirit was doing. He was preparing the earth for life. He was preparing the earth for life. So the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters. And we see this word here. Um, He was over the surface of the deep. That word over there is the word that we have in Hebrew for hovering. To hover. To not be inside the waters, but to be just above them. To be over them. And and he is demonstrating a way of preparing something for life. So what we find here is your next blank. The so Holy Spirit is ordering, uh, is ordering the work of preparation for life. This is a preparation for life. So we find that tohu means formless. is not ready for life. He hovered over the waters in order to prepare for life. I want you to, you to see, and this is all going to make sense in a minute... Deuteronomy 32, if you would. Deuteronomy thirty-two, ten. Okay, this is speaking of the Israelites, often referred to as Jacob. And uh, he found him in a desert land. And in the howling waste of a wilderness, he encircled him, he cared for him. He guarded him as a pupil of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up the nest, its nest that hovers over its young. He spread his wings and caught them and carried them on his pinions. Okay, this is referring to the Holy Spirit's work, and we come back to that word hovering over the young. Here we have the word tohu used again, referring to the wilderness. So the wilderness, obviously, is not something that's formless, right? But it's a place that is not where people can live. So... um, it needs preparation. It needs subduing. So what we find here is the Holy Spirit's work, again, is that prepar- preparation work. Trying to, and it says, uh, you, your next blank there, the Holy Spirit hovers like an eagle, guiding the, uh, the Israelites to life. He's guiding them to life. Remember, they're wandering the wilderness uh, waiting for death of those that disobeyed the Lord. But the next generation was being prepared for life in the, in the new land that God had prepared for them. And we see again the, the Holy Spirit's work is this preparation for life. So does anyone, can anyone forecast where I'm going with that? Yeah, how does the Holy Spirit prepare uh, people for life? Um, Maybe in your life. How has he done this? Well, through effectual calling, of course. Okay. Um, Meaning that he does Yes, uh, it, it's not by our works, as Romans tells us. That's right. Uh, it's, it's through God uh, imparting to us His His wisdom uh, and His word to us that we receive it. Oh, good. So He um, yeah, He He hovers. If you want to use that, word, <laughs> yeah. He hovers over His children. Like a shepherd watches over a flock. Yeah. If um, so I could use two analogies. Good, good. Yeah. So, in Ephesians two, um, what do you? What are you before salvation? Dead. Yeah, You're dead. That's right. Um, if you do not know the Lord, what is? How do you feel about the Lord? What do you think about it? You can care less. You can less. care less. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. Yeah. Um, and you might think to yourself, well, I don't, you know, if I don't know the Lord, if I'm, if I'm not a Christian, then I don't have to hate him, right? I can do something worse than hate. I can uh, act like he doesn't matter, right? I can act like he's not even there, he's not real. Um, in many, in many ways, that's almost worse than hate, right? Uh, it probably would. You can imagine um, what it would be like for your children if, between you yelling at them all the time and being angry at them all the time, or just pretending they're not even there. Which would be worse for your child? I mean, I don't know. I guess. Uh, uh, Ignoring them completely would be worse, I would think. And so your natural disposition because of the fall, your natural disposition toward God is full on, who cares? Does it matter? If you need that fake stuff in your life, then you need that fake stuff. Do what you want. I'll ignore him. So how would you, how do you get someone from death to life? Let me ask you this. Is it a really excellent uh, argument where you can say, hey, I have discovered why it is that Christianity is reasonable. So just sit down and listen and I will resurrect you with the power of reason. Right? Uh, probably not. But we try. <laughs> we try that. We're terrified of looking stupid in front of academia, so we're always trying to make ourselves feel smart. Um, how do you resurrect someone? How do you get something from death to life? Do we have the power to do it? No. No. Uh, we are Tohu. Tohu. We are formless and void. And for us to be able to believe anything, to change our thought of God from I don't care because I hate you to I love you, it would take a direct act of God for that to happen. And that direct act is the Holy Spirit. He hovers over that which is formless and void, and makes it alive in Christ. That has always been his work. He did not suddenly change in the New Testament to a work of preparing uh, preparing for life, right? Um, According to Scripture, you are saved through (coughs) Faith. faith. Who is the one that hovered over you and gave you that faith? The Holy Spirit, your faith is brought to you. You don't try to conjure it up through really good arguments of the cosmological argument or, the, or try to resurrect Thomas Aquinas from the dead so you could show me how to get saved. What we find is that the work is brought to us. The work of faith is brought to us. And because the Holy Spirit brought that faith, we are able to repent. And because of all that, we are in union with Christ. It's exciting. We'll get to that later. What we find in our next section is the Holy Spirit's saving work in people. He has a saving work in people. In the Old Testament. To get to the Old Testament, let me show you something in the New Testament. Uh, Go to John 3, 5. John 3.16 is the verse everyone knows, but how do we even get to John 3.16? What is the context of John 3.16? Well, it's Jesus having a, conversa- having a conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is an Old Testament guy. All his training was in Old Testament. Uh, the new stuff was a mystery to him. He was in the same boat as any other Old Testament person. And this is how the conversation goes. Uh, If we look at verse 5, if you remember, Jesus is talking about being born again. We often refer to that as a New Testament idea, right? Being born again. Uh, We have... Preachers coming from all over uh, We are This little t- this little church near our house uh, We love to read The little captions on there um, Our favorite one of course and I think I shared this earlier is The one that says not Calvinists So You know where they stand You know where they stand Negatives aren't good They should have just said definitely Arminian And that probably would have made more sense But uh, This time they have a uh, an evangelist coming. Do you remember his name? Again. Again. He comes every year. It's very exciting. Uh, and, this time of year. Yeah, this time of year. Whoever he is. Mike Bagwell. Mike Bagwell. Dr. Mike Bagwell. We're not sure where that doctor came from. But uh, he comes every year and it's very exciting because they schedule in a uh, revival. They're pretty sure that the Holy Spirit's going to work. So they schedule in a revival. We will schedule the Holy Spirit's work. And it will be on, according to that, uh, at the end of February. So, um, and they come in and they say, we need to be born again. And, and so they try to persuade you and all this sort of stuff. And there's our altar call at the end to make sure people are coming forward and guilting their way to heaven, whatever it takes. And we kind of see this whole ordeal as a New Testament idea. Jesus uh, says right here in this, in this chapter that that's not a New Testament idea. Let's read. So uh, Nicodemus, will start in verse 4, said unto him, How can a man be, uh, be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time in a mother's womb or be, and be born, can he? Very scientific guy. They act like the Bible has no science in it. Nicodemus was basically uh, an enlightenment thinker. Um, And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And he explains, that's which is born of the flesh is flesh, that's which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And if you have a NASB... 1995, the, uh, the S is capitalized there, the first one. Born of the Spirit, that's a Holy Spirit, is Spirit. Now he says in verse 7, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But do not know where it comes from and where it's going, so, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he's comparing the Spirit again to breath, right? Or wind. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? This sounds foreign to me. Right? This is why everyone thinks Jesus is talking New Testament talk. But he's not. This is Old Testament talk. Because when he says, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? So Jesus is saying, how on earth can you be an Old Testament guy and not understand everything I just told you? Is Jesus expecting too much out of Nicodemus? It's the same kind of question I have when I speak to people that are deep into logic and reason. And I tell them, you understand that reason isn't designed to tell you what's true or false about the universe, only what is consistent about what you already believe to be true. Don't you know this, being a logician? (laughs) They should know it, because that is the foundation of logic. It's, It's a machine, not a discerner of truth. Everyone... That has studied logic should know that. And Jesus is saying this not because he's expecting too much out of Nicodemus, but because Nicodemus should know this, because this is Old Testament talk being born again through the work of the Spirit. So, what we find here is that all were born of the Holy Spirit. Who were saved. That's your first blank in that section. Salvation always came through the work of the Holy Spirit. There was never a time where it didn't happen that way. So, if someone, uh, so, Abraham, when he believed God, the only way he could believe God was if the Holy Spirit was working in him. There was never another way. Since the fall, if we're going to say the fall has affected us since Adam, then the only cure since Adam is the work of the Holy Spirit so that we might be unified with Christ because of the work he did because of the love of the Father. Is everyone understanding how important it is to believe in the Trinity if you really want to understand your salvation? Um... It is why that, uh, on a side note, it is why we are not worshipping the same God as anyone that denies Christ. Right? Muslims are not worshipping the Father and just don't know he has a son. Right? <laughs> if I hear that again. Okay. Um, and let's look at Romans 8. Just to back this up to ensure that we're... Uh, I'm not just making this up. Romans 8, verse 7. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not, for it does not subject, subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. So you're, you are not able... To obey the law, not because the law is hard, but because you hate God. You're hostile. That's who you are. Right? This is why Martin Luther was so important to our understanding of Scripture. Martin Luther said, We need to go back. Things have gotten confused. We need to go back. The Catholic Church was claiming that when you're born, you are stained with sin it's a stain on you other you're otherwise a good person but sin has it's a stain right it's as if you have this beautiful brooks brothers shirt but there's red sauce on it and baptism is your tide that you need to get rid of that stain you otherwise have a wonderful shirt i mean it's brooks brothers I mean, it's custom fit, right? Whatever fit what works for whatever shape you are, you have it. Beautiful shirt. And it's just that stain. And baptism will get that stain off for you. Martin Luther was saying, no, that's not what sin is. You are wearing the stain. You are nothing but stain." The only way to get rid of the stain is to get rid of you. And you have to die. And Christ must live in you. In other words, the only way to get rid of sin is for a complete trans- transformation to occur where you die and Christ lives. You die with Christ. You're resurrected with him. And that's the only way for it to happen. So when we see what uh, Romans 8 is saying, it's not saying that uh, the law was so hard that you're otherwise a pretty good person, but it's just too hard. It's just tough. God expects too much out of us. Uh, that's not what it's saying. It's saying the law is impossible for you because you hate the lawgiver. You hate the one that the law is patterned after. Because you hate the God, you hate his character. If you hate his character, how can you love his law? His law is an expression of his character. So no one comes to God, there's your next couple of blanks, no one comes to God without the Holy Spirit. No one. The salvation of Adam and Eve came by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the fall, they were hostile to their God. And their repentance was possible only by the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing them faith. Um, Numbers 14.24 and 27.18 talks about individual people who the Holy Spirit came upon so that they might be saved. Holy Spirit's preparatory work for life. You had to have faith to have life. Holy Spirit's preparatory work for life. Alright. So that brings us to the Holy Spirit's gifts in the Old Testament. Oftentimes, when we hear about the Holy Spirit's gifts, we're talking about uh, 1 Corinthians, right? But the Holy Spirit... Gave gifts in the Old Testament as well. In Nehemiah 9.20. uh, We find that the Holy Spirit teaches people. He instructs them. He teaches people. 2 Peter uh, 1.21 says that the Old Testament was, was written by prophets. And these prophets did not say what they wanted to say. But they were... Uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the will behind what was said. Exodus 31.3. The Holy Spirit gives unique wisdom to people who needed it at the time. Um, let me look at, let's let look at that very quickly. That's kind of important. Exodus 31.3. So, um, in a building of a place to worship the Lord, they wanted skilled craftsmen to do so. Skilled craftsmen. And what we find uh, with that first verse, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name uh, Bezalel, I think, Um, uh, son of Uri and son of Hur. The tribe of Judah. So he calls this individual. I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom. In understanding. In knowledge. And in all kinds of craftsmanship. To make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze. And in the cutting of stones for setting. And in the carving of wood that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. Well, that's interesting. That's the first skilled tradesman right there. What was that? That's the first skilled tradesman right there. Yeah, think about that. With the Holy Spirit's work upon him to do so. Um we often think of the Holy Spirit's power in the New Testament when it comes to how we worship god in a skillful way or a if i can put it this way artsy way don't you find it interesting that songs and spiritual songs are are part of the directed worship that we are to have for our god it's not straightforward logic that we recite These are the logical propositions we will recite to God. Instead, he says, Sing to me. Now, that is interesting. And the singing and this work is led by people who have been blessed. And it's not just a blessing of, oh, this person just happens to be good at this. How lucky! Let's put them up on stage and they can, they can do the thing that they're lucky enough to, get, to be good at so we can enjoy our singing. Something more is going on here, right? Um, Micah 3.8, the Holy Spirit emboldens Micah to speak righteously at a time that people don't want to hear it. Sometimes... When we hear something from the pulpit that really gets to us and convicts us, uh, because we're humans, we often... Our first thought might be, uh, he's he's not right on that. Uh, We accuse the speaker. Um... We might even say, you know, he enjoys talking that way and, and saying controversial things like that. I can just tell. He likes this. Yeah, he might be right, but I don't like the way he's saying it. Um, when our pastor comes before us to give God's word to us, If you think it is an easy thing to call out the sin that is living in our hearts and speak righteously to our congregation, if you think that is an easy thing, enjoyable, that Andrew just can't wait to get this out because he really wants to get you, Uh, you have no idea the kind of stress and work it takes to be a pastor to speak God's word to the people. It takes an act of the Holy Spirit to embolden someone to speak righteously to people who do not want to hear that. Where it is not popular and it goes against the very grain of the audience. Where he moves from speaking to the choir to speaking to a hostile crowd. right? Haggai 2.5, the Holy Spirit removes fear moves fear. These are the gifts and works of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. I didn't even go towards the things uh, of physical like we could have talked about Samson how the Holy Spirit came down upon him to give him his strength and he was able to kill a vast amount of people with a jawbone of a dump. I mean seen a lot of action movies but can you imagine what that would have looked like the kind of choreography you would have seen of killing armed men with a bone that would have been some pretty harsh violence and I'm sorry that I have a big smile on my face while I say that <laughs> but you know it should be exciting even when it's ugly to see the power of God um so, why does all this matter? When we look at the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit's work, if I can put it in this way, in spurts. Right? Although the salvation is identical, and that work is ultimately incredibly powerful, the gifts are given out in spurts to specific people. Um, And with control. It's a controlled release of something that is huge. You can think of it as a dam. Right? If you've ever seen a a dam holding back uh, thousands of tons of water. And there's some that's released. Right? Some water that's released through. It's a controlled release. But what happens in in the New Testament? the dam is taken down. And the power of the Holy Spirit is given to all with full measure. With full measure. We look at Samson and we think, that would have been cool. Samson would have been looking at us thinking, I can't believe they have all that power. And they act like they don't have any. Right? So your last couple blanks there is the power of the Holy Spirit was given in controlled portions in the Old Testament. But, then, but when Christ came, he gave the Spirit in full measure. Full measure. And next week, we're going to find out what that looks like. What that means in the, in the New Testament. What that full measure means upon us. And how grateful we should be for that. So let's have a word of prayer. And we'll get to worship. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your love. That through that love, uh, your sending of the Son um, showed us your love for us. And the Son's work showed us his love for us. The power of the Holy Spirit that we might know the Son and, and be able to benefit from his work. We're able to see the Holy Spirit's love for us. We thank you for being our one and only God who is filled with uh, love and care for his people. We pray for your blessing over our worship today that we might do it in spirit and in truth and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.